rifle. Anne-Marie trembled. What is in here? he asked loudly. From the corner of her eye, she saw the shopkeeper move quietly back into the shadows of the doorway, out of sight. School books, she answered truthfully. Are you a good student? the soldier asked. He seemed to be sneering. Yes. What is your name? Anne-Marie Johansson. Your friend? Is she a good student, too? He was looking beyond her at Ellen, who hadn't moved. Anne-Marie looked back, too, and saw that Ellen's face, usually rosy-cheeked, was pale, and her dark eyes were wide. She nodded at the soldier. Better than me, she said. What is her name? Ellen. And who is this? he asked, looking to Anne-Marie's side. Kirsty had appeared there suddenly, scowling at everyone. My little sister? She reached down for Kirsty's hand, but Kirsty, always stubborn, refused it and put her hands on her hips defiantly. The soldier reached down and stroked her little sister's short, tangled curls. Stand still, Kirsty, Anne-Marie ordered silently, praying that somehow the obstinate five-year-old would receive the message. But Kirsty reached up and pushed the soldier's hand away. Don't, she said loudly. Both soldiers began to laugh. They spoke to each other in rapid German that Anne-Marie couldn't understand. She is pretty, like my own little girl, the tall one said in a more pleasant voice. Anne-Marie tried to smile politely. Go home, all of you. Go study your school books. And don't run. You look like hoodlums when you run. The two soldiers turned away. Quickly, Anne-Marie reached down again and grabbed her sister's hand before Kirsty could resist. Hurrying the little girl along, she rounded the corner. In a moment, Ellen was beside her. They walked quickly, not speaking, with Kirsty between them, toward the large apartment building where both families lived. When they were almost home, Ellen whispered suddenly, I was so scared. Me too, Anne-Marie whispered back. As they turned to enter their building, both girls looked straight ahead toward the door. They did it purposely so that they would not catch the eyes or the attention of two more soldiers, who stood with their guns on this corner as well. Kirsty scurried ahead of them through the door, chattering about the picture she was bringing home from kindergarten to show Mama. For Kirsty, the soldiers were simply part of the landscape, something that had always been there, on every corner, as unimportant as lampposts, throughout her remembered life. Are you going to tell your mother? Ellen asked Anne-Marie as they trudged together up the stairs. I'm not. My mother would be upset. No, I won't either. Mama would probably scold me for running on the street. She said goodbye to Ellen on the second floor, where Ellen lived, and continued on to the third, practicing in her mind a cheerful greeting for her mother, a smile, a description of today's spelling test in which she had done well. But she was too late. Kirsty had gotten there first. And he poked Anne-Marie's book bag with his gun, and then he grabbed my hair. Kirsty was chattering as she took off her sweater in the center of the apartment living room. But I wasn't scared. Anne-Marie was, and Ellen too, but not me. Mrs. Johansson rose quickly from the chair by the window where she'd been sitting. Mrs. Rosen, Ellen's mother, was there too in the opposite chair. They'd been having coffee together as they did many afternoons. Of course, it wasn't really coffee, though the mothers still called it that, having coffee. There had been no real coffee in Copenhagen since the beginning of the Nazi occupation. Not even any real tea. The mothers sipped at hot water flavored with herbs. And Marie, what happened? 
What is Kirsty talking about? her mother asked anxiously. Where's Ellen? Mrs. Rosen had a frightened look. Ellen's in your apartment. She didn't realize you were here, Anne-Marie explained. Don't worry, it wasn't anything. It was the two soldiers who stand on the corner of Uster Brigada. You've seen them. You know, the tall one with the long neck, the one who looks like a silly giraffe. She told her mother and Mrs. Rosen of the incident, trying to make it sound humorous and unimportant. But their uneasy looks didn't change. I slapped his hand and shouted at him, Kirsty announced importantly. No, she didn't, Mama, Anne-Marie reassured her mother. She's exaggerating, as she always does. Mrs. Johansen moved to the window and looked down to the street below. The Copenhagen neighborhood was quiet. It looked the same as always, people coming and going from the shops, children at play, the soldiers on the corner. She spoke in a low voice to Ellen's mother. They must be edgy because of the latest resistant incidents. Did you read in De Fridanska about the bombings in Hilderod and Norebro? Although she pretended to be absorbed in unpacking her school books, Anne-Marie listened, and she knew what her mother was referring to. De Fridanska, the Free Danes, was an illegal newspaper. Peter Nielsen brought it to them occasionally, carefully folded and hidden among ordinary books and papers, and Mama always burned it after she and Papa had read it. But Anne-Marie heard Mama and Papa talk, sometimes at night, about the news they received that way. News of sabotage against the Nazis, bombs hidden and exploded in the factories that produced war materials, and industrial railroad lines damaged so that the goods couldn't be transported. And she knew what resistance meant. Papa had explained when she overheard the word and asked, The resistance fighters were Danish people, no one knew who because they were very secret, who were determined to bring harm to the Nazis however they could. They damaged the German trucks and cars and bombed their factories. They were very brave. Sometimes they were caught and killed. I must go and speak to Ellen, Mrs. Rosen said, moving toward the door. You girls walk a different way to school tomorrow. Promise me, Anne-Marie, and Ellen will promise too. We will, Mrs. Rosen, but what does it matter? There are German soldiers on every corner. They will remember your faces, Mrs. Rosen said, turning in the doorway to the hall. It is important to be one of the crowd, always. Be one of many. Be sure that they never have reason to remember your face. She disappeared into the hall and closed the door behind her. He'll remember my face, Mama, Kirsty announced happily, because he said I look like his little girl. He said I was pretty. If he has such a pretty little girl, why doesn't he go back to her like a good father, Mrs. Johansen murmured, stroking Kirsty's cheek. Why doesn't he go back to his own country? Mama, is there anything to eat? Anne-Marie asked, hoping to take her mother's mind away from the soldiers. Take some bread and give a piece to your sister. With butter? Kirsty asked hopefully. No butter, her mother replied. You know that. Kirsty sighed as Anne-Marie went to the bread box in the kitchen. I wish I could have a cupcake, she said. A big yellow cupcake with pink frosting. Her mother laughed. For a little girl, you have a long memory, she told Kirsty. There hasn't been any butter or sugar for cupcakes for a long time, a year at least. When will there be cupcakes again? When the war ends, Mrs. Johansen said. She glanced through the window down to the street corner where the soldiers stood, their faces impassive beneath the metal helmets. When the soldiers leave. 2. 
Who is the man who rides past? Tell me a story, Anne-Marie, begged Kirsty as she snuggled beside her sister in the big bed they shared. Tell me a fairy tale. Anne-Marie smiled and wrapped her arms around her little sister in the dark. All Danish children grew up familiar with fairy tales. Hans Christian Andersen, the most famous of the tale-tellers, had been Danish himself. Do you want the one about the little mermaid? That one had always been Anne-Marie's own favorite. But Kirsty said no. Tell one that starts with a king and a queen, and they have a beautiful daughter. All right. Once upon a time, there was a king, Anne-Marie began. And a queen, whispered Kirsty. Don't forget the queen. And a queen. They lived together in a wonderful palace, and... Was the palace named Amalienborg? Kirsty asked sleepily. Shh! Don't keep interrupting, or I'll never finish the story. No, it wasn't Amalienborg. It was a pretend palace. Anne-Marie talked on, making up a story of a king and queen and their beautiful daughter, Princess Kirsten. She sprinkled her tail with formal balls, fabulous gold-trimmed gowns and feasts of pink-frosted cupcakes, until Kirsty's deep, even breathing told her that her sister was sound asleep. She stopped, waited for a moment, half expecting Kirsty to murmur, Then what happened? But Kirsty was still. Anne-Marie's thoughts turned to the real king, Christian X, and the real palace, Amalienborg, where he lived, in the center of Copenhagen. How the people of Denmark loved King Christian. He was not like fairy tale kings, who seemed to stand on balconies giving orders to subjects, or who sat on golden thrones demanding to be entertained and looking for suitable husbands for their daughters. King Christian was...